we're in the book of Philippians. Uh, we're going to get into why in the world that's called that in, in just a minute. Uh, but if you brought your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start chapter 3 tonight. And very, very early on, Paul starts talking about dangerous things and bewaring of cer- certain things. We need to be aware. Uh, so how many of you guys like adventure of, of some sort? Some of you are like, forget that, no way. Like my, my oldest daughter, she's 13 now. She loves adventure if it's in a book, right? Not real adventure. Not like we've, we've got a, a gator here at the church. She doesn't even want to drive that thing across the field. She doesn't want to drive it 10 feet. She doesn't even want to sit in it. Like, it's just too dangerous, Dad. <laughs> she's, she's not, but, but she loves to read about adventure and dream about what, you know, what could be and, and different things like that. My, my other daughter, Lila, she, she wants a new adventure every half hour, right? If, if there was something new and exciting to try and find and discover and, and take risks, and she's all about it, and, and Weston's kind of, in between the two of them, so we're, we're trying to figure out if, if he's just dangerous or goofy. I don't know. <laughs> he's, he's a lot of fun. But uh, it's in most of us, it's ingrained in most of us to, to want to have some sort of adventure in life, you know, some, some sort of risk here and there. Some of it's calculated. We want a lot of control, and, and we'll risk a little bit, and, and then others are just you know, the riskier, the better. The more dangerous, the better. The, you know, the more thrilling, you know, how many of you like roller coasters, right? So I liked them for a couple of years, and that was about it. I'm over it. I'm old now. <laughs> Just don't like it anymore. Um, the big hills on the way up was, was the worst part. On the way down wasn't, wasn't even as bad, I don't know. The engineer in me is like looking at every bolt, and thinking, okay, so cycle life of a three-quarter inch bolt is, you know, so many million cycles at how much, how much torque, you know, like all of that stuff's going through my head, and I'm like, there's no way, there's no way, you know, and so I'm like, I'm worrying myself about s- things that, you know, are out of my control, so, so I'm over, I'm over risk and danger, and it's all calculated, and it's all safe from here on out, not really. If we, if we begin in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, we'll read those real quick. Paul says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. All right, and so he's saying finally, because if you know anything about the Apostle Paul and how he writes the letters that he, he wrote to the churches, he, he starts off in the first half. This, this book is four chapters. So the first two chapters, he gives some very uh, distinct doctrines, some specific teachings he always starts with teaching in the first half, and in the second half, he goes very practical. So he's saying, hey, we, we learned these things, so after learning those things, finally, we need to do some things with what we learned, right? And so a lot of it's all very practical to begin with, and hopefully that, that has been true for you. Uh, but he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. All right, and so Paul's talking about something that's not grievous, something that is safe, and, and it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. So hopefully by the time we get to the end here, this, this phrase makes sense. But 
you know, you guys have seen the signs, beware of dog, right? That means stay out of my yard. You're going to may or may not get bitten. You know, some dogs don't really care. Some are aggressive. But just stay out of my yard just in case, right? That's what beware of dog means. In the Bible, if you're a dog lover, this is not a term of endearment, right? Dog lovers love all dogs. You know, my, my daughter Lila, we just went to the Humane Society on Sunday, and we, we've, we're now qualified to, to volunteer cleaning up poop. It's a pretty awesome thing, right? We can go in and clean up after the dogs anytime we want, and uh, she's, she's thrilled about it. So we, we got to walk in and through and by all the kennels, and, you know, there's just this short, fat dog just doing this thing, and sh- she was like, Dad, look at it. It's so cute. It was, it was an ugly dog. It was a really ugly dog. And then there was another one that was this little white dog, and it, you know how sometimes the dogs get tears on their, you know, on their face here, and it's a white dog, and it's, it, it's got like black. She said, Dad, that one looks like a football player. How cute is that one? Looked like it had the eye black on. I was like, it's not cute. It's, his face is dirty. I was like, I don't know. What are you talking about? Like, there's no, there's no bad dog in there. She loves them all, right? There's, there's no, no, nothing dangerous, but but that's not what Paul's talking about, right? He's, he's giving a warning. And in Scripture, dogs are the ones that return to their vomit, right? These are my wife's favorite things about dogs. Dogs are the ones that, that lick sores, that lick blood in, in the Bible. They're the ones that are wild. They're outside civilization. They're a picture of a lost man, right? He's saying beware of, of dogs. If, if you saw a dog in a, in a big city wandering in an alley... That's not a dog you want to go up and just, you know, snuggle with, right? You, you want to keep your distance because you don't know if it's friendly, if it's dangerous. You don't know if it's rabid. You don't know what it'll do and, and what you'll have afterwards, you know, if it, if it ends up biting you. And so a dog in Scripture is, is a bad thing, and it's somebody to stay away from. They're a picture of an enemy, you know. They're, they're not a pet. They're not a friend. They're something dangerous to, to stay away from. And so... He, he groups dogs with evil workers, and this one's obviously kind of, you know, simple. We need to, to reach those in the world, but not live like it, right? We shouldn't be spending time, you know, living like the world in the midst of people who are, who are in the midst of evil and sin, right? We need to reach them. We need to free them from that, but, you know, they need to be delivered from it. We don't need to be caught up dabbling in it. Um, and then he says, beware of the concision. And concision, this is the only time this is used in, in the Bible, just so it, it's, it's a word we don't really use today, but it's related to a bunch of words that we do. Right? An incision is a cut. Right? An incision is something you, like a doctor would make an incision. Uh, scissors is a, a word related. Another word used to describe something that cuts or divides. Right? And there was a group of people that Paul was warning them about that was causing division. They were, they were cutting churches apart with false doctrine. And so, Scripture tells us the way we ought to deal with people who try to divide and try to, to spread false teaching is, is to avoid them. All right? And so Paul is telling us here again, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, beware of church splitters and dividers and those, those who cause division. Uh, let's go ahead and read on. <coughs> Excuse me. In Philippians chapter 3. So he says, Beware of the concision. Verse 3, he picks up and says, For we 
are the circumcision, another cut in Scripture that we see, which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. And he's talking about his physical capabilities and his mental abilities. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I'm thankful. As always, we're so thankful that, that you've given us your word. You've preserved it perfectly. You've given us the exact words that you want us to have. And so, Lord, we want to we get in and we want to study those words and we want to know what it is that you have to say to us so that we know how we should live our lives. And, and this is, you know, things that we should be aware of, things that we should be, be warned and stay away from. Uh, but there's, there's other more important things in this message that, that we need to uh, count the cost of. And so I just pray that you would speak to our hearts, help us to, to count those costs, and see that it's worth going all in with you. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so the first thing he says after, you know, warning the church of the dogs and the evil workers and the concision is he says, we are the circumcision. And if you know anything about the Bible, you know, circumcision was one of the the parts of the law for the Jews, for the male child on the eighth day to be circumcised. It was a physical surgery that they did on a, a male child. It was the removal of flesh, all right? And if you know anything about the flesh in the Bible, it's always the flesh versus the spirit, right? The flesh is your body and your desires and the things that you want to do that go against what God wants you to do, right? The spirit of God is going to move you in one direction. Your flesh naturally wants to go against God. And so there's a physical uh, picture in the Old Testament of the requirement of cutting away of the flesh. And we'll get more into that in a little bit. But Romans 2, 28 and 29 says, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Okay, that's just a lot of fancy things, you know, you know, the Jews were the only ones circumcised. Some people would, would, you know, change their heritage to become a Jew. They would be circumcised to identify with the tribe of Israel. He's not saying that, you know, now that we're saved, we're now replacing Israel, okay? He's saying the physical commandment was, was a physical picture of a spiritual truth, right? The, the physical flesh was cut away so that you can understand that, that he wants to remove that from your life, right? He wants to cut away the flesh and its desires and the things that it wants to control in you. 
Romans 4, 11, and 12 says, He received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they being not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. Verse 12, And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, again, not of the Jews, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. And so it's just, it's a, it's a spiritual connection. We don't have to, to do the law. We don't have to follow the law and all of those things. They were pointing us to the relationship with Christ. Colossians 2.11 says, In whom also ye are circumcised with circumcision made without hands. Right? It was a physical surgery for you know, a, a Jewish male child when they were eight days old. And he says, when you give your life to Christ, there's a circumcision that takes place that's made without hands. It's a spiritual surgery, right? And putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, okay? So that's the connection. He's saying, look, those guys, those false teachers, the, the Judaizers were, were trying to come in and divide the church saying, look, you can't be saved unless you do these physical things that were contained in the law. And Paul says, that's a lie. That's not true. You know, we are the circumcision. We're, we're the ones in Christ because he cut away our, our flesh uh, spiritually. Excuse me. So, the first thing that we see after he kind of tries to, to correct and say, look out for these guys, and we'll come back to them you know, later on, there's, there's a costly endeavor. We have a costly endeavor. And, and that is rejoicing in Christ. Now, when, when Paul calls them to rejoice in Christ, and when we read that, we think, well, that's just singing songs, right? That's just worship. That's just taking joy in, in who he is and what he's done. But it's actually a whole lot more. It's actually a, a very costly endeavor. It's a costly calling. And we'll see that as we get going. But first of all, he says the, the ones who are the true circumcision, the ones who are truly saved and know the Lord, there's three things that are true of them. First of all, they worship God in spirit. And we see that in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. It says, But the hour cometh, and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. All right. So worship can only be accomplished after salvation. What, what that means is, you know, we were born... With a, with a dead spirit, a spirit that was separated from God. Adam and Eve were created perfectly. They were created three in one. It tells us in the book of Genesis, they were a body, a soul, and a spirit. God said, look, this is, this is you. You're perfect. The environment's perfect. You got one rule. Right? Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we're good. Right? There's, there's one rule. Well, we know the story. They eventually ate of that tree. They broke that. He said, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And they ate of the tree, and that day came, and that day went, and they were still there. They didn't physically die, they died spiritually. And God removed them from the perfect environment, and, and then they were a two-part being that was broken, that had to have their sins covered with, with animal skins. Right? It was, it was not what God had intended, it was not how he wanted it to be. 
And so he says, look, if you want to truly worship me, you have to worship me in spirit and in truth. And when you give your life to Christ, God's spirit comes in and, and makes your spirit alive again. Romans 7, 6 says, but now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we were held. Right? The Jews had to fulfill the law. They had to follow all of the rules to be okay with God. He said, look, that's, that's not the case anymore. If you had to keep all of the law, you're as good as dead, right? You can't do it. That we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Romans 8.15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Right? Because Christ paid the penalty for our sins when we accept him as Savior, God says, you're, you're back in. You're, you're, back, you're, you're all three parts again. Right, I've made you a new creature, it says in 1 Corinthians. The second thing that we can do with a relationship with Christ is rejoice in Christ Jesus. Galatians 6.14 says, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Right? There's, there's only one thing, Paul said, that's, that's worth rejoicing in. There's only one thing that's going to get my attention and my focus and going to get my heart, and I'm going to pour it into the glory of God. 1 Corinthians uh, 129-31 says that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Right? And we haven't even gotten to the cost yet. Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24 says, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let them that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Right? The, our glorying and our rejoicing and all of those things shouldn't be anything connected to what we're capable of doing in our flesh. That's what he's saying. I'm not going to glory, I'm not going to rejoice, I'm not going to take pride in anything that I can do. I'm going to praise the Lord for what he can do. Right? He exercises loving kindness and judgment and righteousness. Those are the things he delights in, those are the things I'm going to delight in. And because I'm going to delight in him, the third thing that, that we do or don't do in this case is have confidence in the flesh. He says that I would have no confidence in the flesh. So I've got a question. When is it that you have confidence? What gives you confidence? In the flesh. When, when are you the most confident? When things are familiar? When things are comfortable? When, when you know that you've done it before? You can do it again when you know the outcome, right? We talked about risk and we talked about adventure at the very beginning. The, the danger zone. Highway to the danger zone, right? Well... If, if there's no danger, there's no risk, it's because we're comfortable. There's, there's nothing 
possible that, that we could lose. Right? And he says, I have no confidence in my flesh. It's going to take you to places you know, where you have to depend upon God. How many times in your life and how many things in your life right now do you have to depend on God for? Or can you get by on hard work? Or can you get by on a good attitude? Because look, I mean, in your jobs, most of you today, if, if you just care a little bit, you're, you're going to stand way above most everybody else. Right? I mean, I'm sure you've experienced that. If you, if, if you just care enough, you're going to look like an all-star. <laughs> right? And your boss is going to love you, and they're going to give you the easy jobs, and, and, and life is just going to be better for you, and you're going to be comfortable. So the question is that, that we need to be asking ourselves, what in my life do I have to depend upon God for? What in my life am I just confident in the flesh? That's where we're first stepping into maybe the danger zone, right? Now we're, now we're talking about something that might be a little bit risky. And Paul says in, in Philippians 3, he says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Right? Paul's kind of sort of bragging here, but kind of sort of not. He's just going to give his resume real quick, as a Jew, what he's qualified in. Right? He says, I'm, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Right? He, was, he was one of the elite, as touching the law of Pharisee. If you know anything about the Pharisees, they were the ones who, who kept the law and lorded it over everyone else. Right? To be one of the, the Jews, or the Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, he had to memorize a massive portion of the scripture. Concerning zeal, do I have a zeal for God? Do the Jews think I have a zeal for, the God, for God? Yeah, I persecuted the church. Right? The, the church and, and Judaism and the Hebrews were obviously not on the same page, right? Concerning zeal, he persecuted the church. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, nobody could find any blame in me. Paul's saying, I, I have the ability in my flesh to accomplish all kinds of things in that world, in the lost world. I can go and achieve things and be on top. Paul used his resume to gain opportunities he couldn't get otherwise, but he never leveraged his wisdom or his abilities or, or his, his experience in any of those situations. His source of power was never himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1-5, through five, it says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring to, unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Right, here's this guy who should be able to approach anybody because, you know, as, as far as his education... There's nobody that can hold a candle, right? He shouldn't be intimidated by anybody. He should be able to carry on a conversation anywhere. But he says, look, I, I determined ahead of time, I'm not going to use me to leverage and, and convince you of the Lord. I'm, I'm just going to share the gospel. I'm going to preach Christ and him crucified. 
He says, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So when this guy who knows that he's smarter than the guy he's talking to or the audience he's in front of, he, sa- he says, I, I guarantee you, I determined ahead of time, I'm not going to use my intellect. Because if my intellect wins you to Christ, somebody else's intellect is going to win you away. Right? Because what you win someone with is what you win someone to. If you win them with the power of Christ and the gospel itself, well, then there's no getting them out of it, Right? If, if they understand that Christ died for them and they understand that, that it was him, it was all him, and they place their faith in that, well, they're in. It's, it's not my intellect. It's not my humor. It's not my ability to, to convince somebody. It's the gospel. right? It's, it's Christ. And Paul said, I'm not going to place my confidence in, in my flesh, but I have, I have a resume. Right? I, I could get in and, and, and win some people over and get a big following and, and tell them what to do and they'll do it. But they would be following me and not Christ. First Peter chapter 1 says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth and the flower Thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So Paul, in his own abilities, could have won a whole lot of people to Paul. But that wasn't the mission. And that wasn't going to help anybody. Right? The best of your ability is going to wither away. I'm living proof of all of that. Just... Three short years ago, there were so many things that I just can't do today. You know, things that I could do the, you know, three years ago, this, this is just not happening anymore. Physical capabilities, you know, memory, all of those things. You know, I, I get a kick out of, you know, there's makeup commercials that come on. and you know, do you, Don't you want this kind of bouncy skin? Yeah, you're a 20-year-old. 20-year-old, shut up. Uh, you're not going to convince I, I don't wear makeup anyway, but... You, if I wore makeup, I wouldn't buy it from you. I'd buy it from somebody wrinkly like me that, that has bouncier skin than me, but not from a 20-year-old. You know, that stuff withers away. It's not going to last. You know, the 20-year-old the guy who says, you want rock-hard abs like this? I used to have that. It's gone. <laughs> Shut up. It's, it's not because I should eat and act and do what you do. It's because you're 20, man. Stop it. That stuff fades. That's not what you win someone to. Paul says, my abilities and and my charisma and my knowledge only wins you to Paul, and that doesn't do you any good. I used to get stronger every year. It's not happening anymore. It's going the other direction, I think. So when he says, you know, rejoice in Christ, he says, are you going to go all in with Christ 
so that you don't take any pride, so that you don't take any credit, so that what you're involved in, Christ has to come through. When you rejoice in Christ, you don't rejoice in anything you're capable of. It's not your abilities. It's going to cost you something. It's dangerous because you can't control it. It's difficult because you have to place your faith in his hands. You have to wait and see how it's going to come out. Is it going to go as he promised? Well, the last thing did, but, but will this? It's a risk, right? And so the second thing, the second point is the return on your investment. Paul goes through all of those qualifications that he has, and he says, I counted them, but dung, right? Dung is poop, right? They're useless. They're waste. It's going to fade and disappear, and it's going to be the same value. All of my certificates and accomplishments and all of those things don't do me any good for the kingdom. Letter A, he says, the reason that I may win Christ. Have you guys ever seen uh, those Texas Hold'em tournaments they have on, why do they have those on ESPN? It's not a sport. Not a sport. It's interesting, though. I've watched it. Have you ever seen, like, they, you know, they're, they're back and forth, and, and then the guy, you know, he's got the big stack of chips, and you know, they're peeking at their cards, and they got the camera under the table, and oh man, oh man, he's, he's going to go all in. He's going to go all in, man. This is exciting. It's not exciting. It's exciting for that guy, because he's going to win a lot of money, but they try to make it feel like it's exciting. You know, he shoves all those chips in, flicks his cards in there, and, and oh boy, it's on, right? He, he just went all in. Not a sport. Paul says, when I go all in, it's so that I may win Christ. He's the ultimate prize. right? And knowing Christ as your Savior, you already have Christ in your life. You're already guaranteed in heaven with him the rest of eternity. That, that's a done deal. That's a guarantee. But he says that I may win Christ here, now. It's a different level of experience. It's not just getting out of Egypt and wandering in the wilderness so that you're no longer in bondage, right? God took Israel out of Egypt to place them into the promised land. And he's taken us out of our bondage, not so that we can just be happy and do what we want the rest of our lives and have our ticket punched to heaven and not have to worry about hell and now I can just do whatever I want. That's not at all what this is about. He wants you to go all in so that you may win Christ. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. The way you live this life is going to determine what you end up with. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. And we can obtain incorruptible prizes and crowns that we can we get to throw back at his feet in worship i don't want to show up and have nothing to give my savior i want to win now so that he gets more glory then 
I therefore so run, not as certainty, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. This guy gets no credit. It's not about me. It's about Christ. We've seen this verse a bunch of times this, this year already. 1 Corinthians 15.10 But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. It was a good decision. He put his grace in my life because I'm going to put it to work. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. You see, when Paul found out that he had the winning deck, he went all in. And when he went all in, he found out that God was already there. And God was already at work. But Paul went all in, and and he won Christ, that, that he would win Christ. The second thing he says is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. 1 John 2 Three through five says, Hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. That's a harsh statement. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected, matured. Hereby we know that we know or that we are in him. Walking the Christian walk is a difficult walk at times. Right? This can be a difficult life. Your flesh is strong. The course of this world is tempting. Everybody else disagrees. Your flesh disagrees with the word of God. Right? The spirit of God's heading one way, your flesh is heading the other. It's, it's a difficult walk at times. One of the biggest struggles people have when they fulfill the lusts of the flesh, this happened, I have this conversation way too many times. Counseling situations, what happens when they give in to the flesh is they come back and say, I don't know if I even believe the Bible anymore. That's the outcome. They start losing a grasp on what they knew was true just a little bit ago. It's a high cost. It's a high compromise. Believing God's word is what goes first. Do you know what the greatest blessings to walking in obedience is? Assurance. To know that God said what God said and to know that it's true and to know that you're sealed and to know that you have a relationship with him and you have no doubts because you're walking with him. I, I know he's there because I walk with him and he instructs me and I, and I keep in obedience and I keep walking with him. I know he's there, and I know he's true, and I know he's going to come through for me, and I know that I can go all in, and he's already there. But stop doing that, and you start thinking, well, maybe he's not. Maybe he didn't mean me. Maybe he didn't secure everything. But his his word says he did. And, And the word says, let God be true and every man a liar. When we walk with him, we know he's there. He gives us the blessing of assurance. Not having any doubt in any of the promises that he's made. Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 11. says, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. 
That's not the, the, the water baptism. This is a spiritual baptism. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We should have a different life with Christ involved, right? For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also or be also like or in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man, the flesh, is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. What a blessing. You know dead men can't sin. And he says, if Jesus Christ is your Savior, you've been buried with him, and you rose again new, resurrected. And the old man is dead. The flesh, when you give in to the flesh, you know what you're doing? You're believing a lie. Every time you give in, you believe a lie. You believe you have to. You believe you don't have a choice. You believe it's just a matter of time before I compromise. That temptation is there. It's not going to go away until I give in. That's a lie. That's a lie every time because that flesh is dead. He crucified it. When you placed your faith in him on the cross, what he did for you. He killed that thing. And if you give in, it's because you believed a lie. He says, now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he live, liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. But alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The power of his resurrection results in three things. Destruction of sin, freedom, and life. Life as he purposed it. It's there. It's possible. Victory over sin is possible. The second thing he says that I may know him is, is uh, the, the power of, resurrec- of his resurrection and the fellowship of suffering. 2 Corinthians 1.5 says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. You know, wh- nobody wants suffering. Nobody... Nobody wants bad things and difficult times in their lives, but without suffering, you know what? You will never know. You'll never truly know the comfort of Christ. Without difficulty, you'll not know his ability to to make you understand how real he is. When it's all in your power and in your abilities and everything's safe and there's no risk to it and there's no pain, you don't know who he is. Because you got it handled. Without suffering, you'll never know his comfort. Think about some of the closest times you've had with loved ones. Mom and dad, brother, sister, friend, somebody that, that you know is there for you. You, you. you know they're there for you because they were there for you in the worst of times you've ever experienced. You know they care. You know they love you because... When you had a tragedy, they had a shoulder. And they were there when you needed them. And now you're closer because of it. That's the same thing with Christ. 1 Peter 4, 13 and 14, he says, But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, 
that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. When difficulty and suffering comes, and people treat you different, and you, and you suffer persecution for his name, he says, you, your life gave him glory. Without that suffering, he gets less credit from your life. Without difficulty, without him shining through, and, and, and people seeing you be okay because you trust him, he gets credit. When you live in the power of your flesh and your abilities and, and your charisma and your intellect, you get credit. When it's beyond you, when it has to be him to come through for you, he's the only one that can get credit. And without suffering, without difficulty, you know, you look pretty awesome. We've not been called to look awesome. We've been called to point to him. The third thing he says, that I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Again, this doesn't mean that I might get saved. Paul's already saved. Paul already knows Christ. He has a relationship with Christ. He's sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. All right, As we are in Christ. If you know Christ as your Savior, you're saved. You will experience you know, eternity with Christ. But Paul says that I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. This is like winning Christ. Paul's saying, I can attain unto the resurrection of the dead now. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. You think about, we we saw the the flower withereth. Uh, A a flower seed is, is a picture of death, right? You bury it. You put it in the ground, and what happens? A picture of a resurrection. Right? It, it starts as just a dead nothing. You put it in the ground, and it comes up beautiful. And Paul says, look, I can attain that now in this life. Without death, there is no resurrection. If you do everything in your own power, you get credit with when you give it to Christ, when you take up your cross as Christ called us to do, every day, that's starting the day as good as dead. What, what was the ultimate destination when Christ picked up his cross? It wasn't just this thing he liked to carry around. He was walking to his own death. And he says, I, I want you to pick up your cross every single day because you're as good as dead. It's not you that lives, it's me. It's not your power, it's my power. It's not you who gets credit, it's, it's Christ. Luke 9.24 says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. The great Bible theologian, Zacharias Tibor, said just recently, he said, Man, Hope it's okay, I quote you. Man, the Christian life is weird. He said, how so? You just do everything opposite of what comes natural 
And it all somehow works out perfect. (laughs) And I replied, amen. That's exactly right. Because what comes natural is me doing what is safe and what is comfortable and what comes out to my calculated end and my plan works out and everything works in my favor and there's no bumps in the road and there's no difficulty and I get all the credit and everybody looks at me and thinks, man, you've got it all together. That's awesome. But God says, where am I in all of that? What's natural and easy is flesh. What God wants us to be a part of is something so much more. Something meaningful. Something we can't accomplish. God gave us many gifts and abilities. Use them. Right? I'm, I'm not at all saying don't use who you've been created as. Right? You have gifts, you have abilities, you have talents, you have connections. Use them but have no confidence in them. Because if that's all the further you're going to go, then you didn't go where Christ went. You didn't go all in. You just went as far as you were comfortable going. Leverage what comes natural to get you into places that only God can get you out of or God can get you through. Because that's where he's at. Right, Paul said, I, I worked harder than anybody else. And I found out he was already there. It was God's grace that was doing the work. It was beyond my ability. Philippians 3, 1 and 2, back to the beginning of where we started. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To rejoice in the Lord is to take no easy path. It's to go all in. Because you're not rejoicing in the flesh. To write the same things to you, to me, is not grievous. But for you, it is safe. When we said it was dangerous, is it dangerous or is it safe? Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. Dogs, evil workers, concision, all of these have one thing in common. The flesh. Self-defense. Self-confidence and no faith. So I guess it's four things in common. The, the common denominator with all of those things that he's warning us about is the flesh. Why do people divide churches? Because they want to keep it safe for me. I don't want things to change. I want my ego. I want to be stroked. I want to be on a pedestal. I want to be seen. And God says, well, that's not what I had this planned out for that's not what we do here because God confronts them on something through leadership or through his word and they don't like that so they're going to cause division they're going to cause problems they're going to bite and they're going to devour and he says beware you need to go all in because that's the only safe place if you don't go all in you're going to end up like these guys Paul's saying, do you realize the safest place you can be is away from your own flesh? It's to kill that thing. It's dangerous because there's a lot of unknown. 
It's scary because you might never get what your flesh wants. So, one more time, what in your life takes you to a place where you have to depend on God to come through for you? Let's pray. Father, I know that you have enormous plans for us, incredible experience. And a lot of that's through valleys and through difficulties and through trials. And some of it's through exciting things that we're just not capable of pulling off. It's certainly not all bad. But it is beyond our abilities, and we have to trust in you. Maybe we feel like, well, I, I could never talk to strangers about God because I'm not this or I'm not that, and, well, from what we've seen tonight, then if that's my excuse, then I'm perfectly qualified because that's where you want me to be. I couldn't do this or I couldn't do that or it doesn't matter anymore because you just want us all in and, and you'll work out the difference of what we can't handle anyway and, and I thank you for that. I thank you for that confidence to know that and you've called me to something dangerous. It's to proclaim your name to the world and the world's not going to want to hear it but you're going to get credit from my life. I don't want to look back and, and feel like you've wasted giving me grace and giving me opportunities and opening doors to me. I don't want to look back and regret that I didn't do what you asked me to do. You're the one going to pull it off anyway. Lord, we love you. We're thankful for opportunities. And I do pray that uh, as we worship one more time through song that, that it's pleasing to you and that we mean every word. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.